Uh, we've been moving just verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. And so uh, the last month or so, we've looked at several areas of, of the family and of order. Uh, we looked at wives submitting to husbands, husbands loving wives as Christ loved the church, children obeying their parents. And now we're moving into a, a different realm of, of, I guess, culture or uh, relationships, and that is our work relationships. Uh, I went to Amarillo this week uh, to make a hospital visit, and uh, there's a stretch in there where there, there's not much. And so I was trying to find a radio station to stay awake, and I came upon a country station. And so I listened to about an hour of country music, which I grew up on the tractor listening to country music. And so with that inspiration, I have affectionately t- entitled this message, Take This Job and Love It. Okay, so if, you, if those of you listening to country music, that will make sense to you. Man, there's a lot of illustrations. I'm just so full of illustrations right now after that hour of country music. I mean, can anybody tell me why that gambler guy, why does he listen? Uh, you know, I mean, if you, want, if you want advice about gambling, are you really going to listen to a guy in a boxcar who doesn't have anything to his name, not even a match? I mean, re- some of you don't. Yeah, if you listen to country music, that's an interesting question. Why would you go to that guy for advice about gambling? I mean, obviously, he's not very good at it. That was one of the questions I had on the way to Amarillo. But anyway, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. That has nothing to do with anything. Verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters do the same thing to them and stop threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that, um, God, it, it just penetrates every area of our life. God, thank you that, that your word speaks to us as, as, as husbands and wives, as parents and children, as slaves and masters, and, and in implication as, as workers and bosses. And, Father, I just pray that the gospel would so penetrate our lives at Lincoln Avenue that we would be transformed in every area of those lives. Uh, Father, I, I just pray that, that the gospel would change the way we go to work. It would change the way that we relate with our coworkers. It would change the way that we parent, the way that we uh, love our wives and, and respect our husbands. God, I, I just pray that it would transform us from the inside out. Uh, God, I know that's what it's meant to do. And so, Lord, I pray that your spirit would have your way and that your word would penetrate hearts and that you would be exalted here today. Father, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There's 168 hours per week, if my math is right. 49 hours, if you sleep, I'm assuming some things. If you sleep seven hours a night, you know, some of you maybe sleep more than that, some of you maybe sleep less than that, but if you sleep seven hours a night, you're going to spend 49 of those hours sleeping, okay? So just unconscious, checked out, you're not doing anything uh, but dreaming. So that leaves you about 119 wakeful hours, okay? Now really, that's not, that's not actually accurate as far as what we're talking about because some of those hours you're going to be by yourself, some of them you're going to be getting ready, you're going to be showering, you're going to be getting ready for bed, you're going to be going to the bathroom, you're going to be doing all that 
that sort of stuff. And so, so really, you, re- you don't really have 119 productive hours in the world. Uh, that's probably not accurate. You probably have more like 110 or 100, 105, somewhere in that neighborhood. But, but anyway, if you work a 60-hour week, which some of you I know do, if you work a 60-hour week, then, then even with the 119-hour figure, half of your life is spent at work, okay? So half of your wakeful hours, half of your time in the world is going to be spent in your occupation around the people that you work with. If you work a 40 or 50-hour work week, be a little bit less than that, a little less than half. But, but somewhere around half of your life, really, of your productive life in the community is going to be spent in, in some sort of occupation or in some sort of, of calling. Maybe you're, you're a stay-at-home mom or maybe, maybe you have a ministry or, or something like that. But you're, you're going to be spending, spending it in that, that vocation or that calling upon your life. And, and other than possibly your family, you will have the greatest percentage of opportunity to impact people for Christ with the people that you work with, okay? So how you work and how you look at your job and how you live out your occupation are incredibly important things if you're going to be the person that God created you to be, okay? So because of that, I want to give you the top 10 reasons not to dishonor or disobey or be disgruntled with your employer, okay? Top 10 reasons here. Number 10, and these are just off the top of my head. Uh, Number 10, your boss is probably not as gracious and merciful as God is, okay? Probably a true thing, right? God is very gracious. He's very merciful. When you disobey Him, He shows abundant grace. Your boss may not be as such, okay? Number 9, unemployment does not pay very much. I don't know if you don't knew that or not, but it really doesn't. It's hard to make a living. It's hard to do the things you want to do, uh, being unemployed. Being fired does not look good on a resume. That's number 8. Number 7, employers know other employers, and believe it or not, word can spread about you if you if you ruin your witness at your job. Number six, being unemployed depletes the vacation fund. That's real important in our family, so I thought I'd throw that in. This is another one that just kind of stems from our family. Number five, braces are expensive, okay? Braces are expensive. That's one. That's number five reason not to dishonor, disobey your boss. Number four, and many of you have experienced this, Woodward Hospital gets cranky when you do not pay them, okay? Number three, this is not true of my family. It is true of some of you. Your wife likes to shop. Number two, it's hard to give to missions when you're unemployed. But the number one reason that the Bible says you ought to honor, you ought to work hard for your boss, you ought to not disobey him, is that when you work, you are really working for Jesus Christ, okay? That's what this says. That, that's not just something I just made up. That's the thrust of this passage, is that when you do your job, when you work hard for, for, for your job, when you honor your boss, when, you, when you're a good witness to those that you work with, the Bible is saying to you, you do that to Jesus Christ. Now, the first thing we've got to unpack here this morning for, for this all to make sense is you're looking at this passage, some of you, I bet, and you're saying, oh, hold on. Pastor, I don't see... I don't see worker, I don't see employee, I don't see employer, I don't see boss, I don't see any of those words in the passage that we just read. What you see in your Bible probably is something like slaves or masters, right? Well, there's a good reason for that. The Roman Empire, the, the, the setting, the context in which Ephesians was written, was mainly made up of a workforce of slaves, okay? The thing ran on slave labor. It, 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 that, that's what it ran on. It didn't run on worker, uh, employees, you know, union. It, it really didn't run on that. It ran on masters and slaves. Those were the, the two primary groups of people in the Roman Empire, okay? And, and so, so slavery was a huge thing. Now, it really wasn't the slavery of, 
of the South of our country of 150 years ago. Uh, that slavery was really motivated by, by kidnapping, actually, is, is kind of what, what, what drew, drove that thing, which, by the way, is condemned in the Bible, Exodus 21, 16. But, but the slavery of Paul's day was actually uh, run by, by the conquest of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was just sweeping through the entire world, uh, taking over country after country. And most of those slaves were kind of military captives. Uh, many of them had sold themselves into slavery because they, could not, uh, they couldn't, couldn't earn a living on their own or they, they were in debt or they had some sort of crisis in their life. And so there was lots of, of reasons for slavery. But, but, but here's the thing. The New Testament doesn't just jump out there and condemn slavery. Uh, now, now, why? That's a question a lot of people have, have wondered. Why doesn't it, Paul just take the chance right here to say, look, this is wrong and you should stop? I mean, he, he doesn't pull punches in any area, other area of life. Well, I, I think there's a couple things that we need to realize. Number one, whenever the Bible is proclaimed and believed and embraced, slavery ends. Okay? You, you go anywhere around the world, and whenever this Bible, whenever this New Testament, whenever the, 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 the people in the government, the people of, of a country say, look, we believe this thing, slavery ends. Okay, The principles in the Bible of, of equality, of value, of men creating the image of God, of loving your brother and your neighbor, it, it undercuts and defeats slavery every time. And so what I want you to hear is the principles of the New Testament stop slavery in our country. I believe that. They stopped it in England. William Wilberforce was driven by the Bible in his quest to stop slavery in Great Britain, okay? But some still might find it odd. Why, why, doesn't, why didn't Paul take the opportunity here to condemn this thing? Well, there's probably a lot of reasons for that. Number one, Paul was not interested in being a politician. Paul was interested in the gospel. And here's what we know about the gospel, okay? It is unstoppable, okay? Jesus Christ is unstoppable. And here's the, here's the cool thing today. Anyone, anywhere, no matter your hardship, no matter your situation, no matter what, whatever's going on in your life, you can embrace Jesus Christ. He will transform your life and you can live a life that honors and glorifies Him and He, and he will reward you for that. Th- those are the principles of the gospel. Isn't that a cool thing? You know, I mean, just think if you're a slave in the Roman Empire and you're thinking, man, I heard about this Christianity. I see these people come to Christ, but I can't do that because I'm a slave. You know, I don't have freedom. I can't go where I want to go. I can't leave. I can't, I can't just go to church. You know, here, here's what Paul's saying to them. Look, look, you can live out your faith, okay? The, the gospel is unstoppable. It doesn't matter what place you're on in your life. Some of you may be thinking, well, I'd love to be a Christian, but, but I can't because of this thing in my life or because I'm, I'm, I'm in this marriage or I'm in this relationship or I'm in, hey, you know what? The gospel applies to wherever you're at, okay? Wherever you're at, it applies to you. And, and it's unstoppable in its impact in people's lives, okay? So, it's about slaves and masters. But what I'm telling you is, it has incredible implications for our day where we would say, we don't have this anymore. What we have is employees and employers, okay? And if it applies to slaves and masters... How much more should it apply to employees and employers? I mean, if Paul's telling this slave, this guy who's being oppressed in this injustice, that he needs to obey his master as unto the Lord, then how much more when you begged for the job you got, you know? I mean, you applied. You filled out an application. You wanted the job, right? You're getting paid for the thing, and you could quit anytime you want, right? You have the freedom to do that. So how much more do the the principles in Ephesians 6 apply to our employment? They they do completely. And so what, what is Paul telling us? Well, let's begin to unpack this, all right? You ready? First thing he says, very clear, this is the thrust of the passage. Slaves, or in this case, employees, 
Obey your earthly masters. Obey your earthly bosses, all right? So it's a call to submit to the authority that you have placed yourself under. Just like over in, in, in chapter, chapter 5, verse 22, wives, submit to your husbands. Just like uh, last week, children, obey your parents. There, there's, there's these relationships that, that are, are formed by mutual submission and leadership. And Paul is saying, if you work for somebody, if, if you have a master in your life, then you should submit yourself to that authority. You should obey them. And you should do so. Here, here's the thrust. Because of our relationship to Jesus Christ, okay? As if we're working for Christ. Look, look, at, look at verse 5. Let me walk you through there. Verse 5, as you would Christ, okay? Verse 6, as servants of Christ. Verse 6, doing the will of God from the heart. Verse 7, rendering service as to the Lord. Verse 8, whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord. Every one of those. Ma'am, why, why do you do this? Why are you going to obey your earthly master? Why are you going to honor him? Why are you going to submit to his authority? Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. I mean, Paul comes back five or six or seven times and links it directly to your relationship with Christ. Okay? Now, here's what we know as Christians. Okay? This is a great example of the glory of the gospel. Whenever we embrace the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for us, Whenever we realize, look, I'm a broken sinner, I'm damaged on the inside, I'm separated from God, my only hope is to put my faith in Jesus and what He did for me on the cross. I'm going to turn away from my sin, embrace Him. He's going to make me new on the inside, I'm going to be born again. That's the gospel. Whenever that happens, that impacts every area of your life. It redefines everything that you are. It redefines every, every relationship in your life. Everything changes. Okay? And for a Christian, Jesus becomes the big boss. Okay? I was, I, I was talking with a guy about this a couple weeks ago. I asked him if I could use this. We're in my office and we're talking about his employment. He's struggling with his employer. His employer's not really treating him fairly. He's got a difficult time at work. And so, so I, I like to draw pictures. I'm not any good at, at art. Chris, by the way, is a very good artist. Uh, but I'm not any good, but I can draw stick figures. And so here's what I did. I took this piece, piece of paper out and I drew him. I said, all right, this is you. This is me. Okay? So you can draw this on your bulletin if you're doodling. Okay? And then draw a little bit bigger stick figure. Just, just a little bit bigger. All right. This this is your boss, okay? And then I drew this great big one, okay? Oh, you know, it takes up the whole paper, okay? This is the big boss. This is Jesus, okay? And so whenever you look at your life, okay, whenever you look at, at why you do the things you do, why you obey, why you work hard, why you submit, why you get, you know, it's not really for this guy. He's the little boss, okay? It's really for the big boss, all right? It's really for, for, for the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that's why you do that. And you shouldn't treat the little boss like the big boss, you see, here's what we can get into. We, we, th- this little boss, he can treat us unfairly, and he can, he can push us too hard, and he can demand things that are unfair of us. And you know what a lot of Christians will do? They'll begin to lose their Christianity over that. Okay, what I mean by that is they'll lose their temper. They'll start slandering. They'll, they'll, they'll give up their integrity. All for the little boss, okay? You know what you do when you do that? You make the little boss the big boss. Does that make? Are you totally confused now? You know, you're treating the little boss like like he's the king. Okay, you're letting him define your life. You're letting him define your, your integrity and how you live. That's not the way Paul intended it. Paul is very clear here. He's saying, look, you need to look past this guy. Okay, you look over. The, the, the little boss in your life, and look to the big boss who is Jesus Christ. Let him own that spot in your life. Now, now here's what Paul's saying. When you think about doing things 
doing, doing the things in your life, doing your work, doing your, your job, doing your, your housework, taking care of your kids, okay? You're doing that, whatever that is, you're doing that for the Lord. That, that's Paul's point here. He says, whatever you do here, as you work, as you submit, as you obey, do it as you would Christ. Do it as to the Lord. Do it for the reward of the Lord, okay? He keeps coming back to the Lord. And some of you are going to say, well, that's great for you, Pastor, because obviously you do spiritual work, right? I mean, it's obvious. Why? Hopefully, why am I doing this that I'm doing? I'm doing this for the Lord, right? I'm doing this because I'm telling you about Jesus. I'm trying to tell you about what he said in his Bible, okay? The people that just led our worship, why did they do that? They did that for the Lord, right? They're trying to, to draw you in to worship the King, to live out your purpose in life, which is to give glory to God. But what if you're hauling trash, or what if you're, you're delivering mail, or what if you're cutting grass, or what if you're, you're managing people at Burger King, or what if, what, if you're, what, what, what if you're doing that stuff? How do you do that for the Lord? Well, I want to tell you, according to the Bible, there really isn't spiritual stuff and non-spiritual stuff. It's all for the Lord, okay? Whatever you do in your life, that's your calling, okay? That, that's the calling. You, you can manage a business for the Lord. You can cut grass as to the Lord. You can drill for oil as to the Lord. You can serve hamburgers for the Lord. You can build houses and keep accounting books and produce electricity and sell cars as to the Lord. Does that make sense? You're like, how? How do I, how do I cut grass for Jesus? Okay? I mean, I mean how, how is that? Again, it's obvious spiritual things. If you, teach, if you teach a children's class, it's easy to see. Okay, that's for God. I'm, I'm teaching these kids about God. But, but, but how, do, how do I do this other stuff? How do, I, how do I mow a lawn for the Lord? Well, first of all, let me take you way back to Genesis. Okay? God creates mankind, puts him in the garden... Uh, Genesis 128 says, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Okay. Uh, him and I've been working on that. Be fruitful and multiply. We've got five. So that's what that means. We understand that. Okay. And then listen to this other part and fill the earth and subdue it. Very important. Subdue it. Did you hear that? Subdue the earth and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the heavens and over every, every living thing. Chapter 2, he says this again. Chapter 2, verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man, takes Adam, puts him in the Garden of Eden, and he says to work it and to keep it. Okay? So, so right away, as, 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 God, as God creates mankind, he tells him several things. He says, look, you're, you're to have dominion over this world. You're to subdue. What does it mean to subdue the earth? Okay? When you mow your grass, you're subduing the earth, Right? I mean, if you leave it, what happens? Man, it goes wild, doesn't it? Dandelions, thistles, stickers, you know, all kinds of terrible stuff happens. Well, you know, it just grows all, you can't get through it, okay? When you mow it, you're subduing it, right? You're putting it in order, okay? When, when you drill for oil in, in, in the world, what are you doing? You're, you're subduing the earth. You're drawing the resources. God has placed oil inside the earth, and you're drawing it out to use. When you take care of people, what are you doing? You're, you're managing the earth, right? You're, you're, you're subduing the earth. You're producing. You're loving God's people. You're taking care of people. You're either serving them food, or you're, you're, you're delivering their mail, or you're getting their electricity bill to them. You're, you're doing something that God has called you to do that's all part of this big plan of subduing the earth, Okay? So, so that's one way. The second thing is, we all, if you're a born-again believer, if, if you're here today and you're a Christian, then you are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Let me show you that. 2 Corinthians 5.20. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Every Christian is a living ambassador. We are a representative of Jesus Christ. We represent him. We, we live out the gospel. People want to know, what's Jesus like? You look at a Christian, okay? That's scary, isn't it? What if people are looking at you? Is that what they see? Uh, that's what they ought to see. 
Okay? They ought to see someone who's been changed by the grace of God and who is filled with the Spirit of God. We are ambassadors for Christ. So, so several different ways come together to, to show that, that, that whatever you're doing in your life, okay, you're doing that for the Lord. Now, now, what does that look like to do what you do as to the Lord? Well, Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 gives us a great hint on that. It says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Whatever you do, work heartily. What does it mean to work heartily? It means to do whatever you do well, right? You know, if you've got a ministry, you ought to do that well. You know, if, if, if you go deliver gospel tracts to the prison, you ought to do that well. If, if, if you mow grass, you ought to mow grass well. If you manage people, you ought, to mow, you ought to manage people well. If you give people immunization shots, then you ought to do that well. You ought to, whatever you do, you ought to do it well. Heartily means with all your heart. You ought to do it with great effort, with great energy, with great creativity. But you ought to do it as to the Lord. You, you ought to do that as if you're doing it for Jesus Christ because you are doing it for Jesus Christ. When you mow a lawn, you ought to just picture, you know what, I'm mowing the front lawn of heaven. Okay, If you're mowing the front lawn of heaven, do you do a sloppy job? You don't. You leave, you know, little, little strips where the grass is sticking up where you miss the spot. You don't do that. You know, you're doing it for the Lord. Okay. If you're working in food service, then you ought to, act, you ought to pretend you ought to just act like, look, I'm doing this. I, I'm in heaven's kitchen preparing a meal for Jesus. If you're managing a business, you ought to do it as if it's Christ's business. If you're in healthcare, you ought to take care of people like you're ca- ca- taking care of Jesus' mother or his brother or his daughter or his son, because in many cases you are doing just that. Okay, so heartily, you do it with all your heart. First Corinthians ten thirty one says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Okay, what is the glory of God? The glory of God is showing, it's demonstrating God's awesomeness. Okay, God is awesome at everything. Okay, God is, he, he's infinitely good, he's infinitely kind, he's infinitely powerful, he's infinitely awesome. Okay, and when God changes a person's life, that's incredible. And so you're living out that changed life in what you do in your occupation. Please don't look at, at your life as I got my spiritual part of life. That's from 8.30 to 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. That's when I'm spiritual. I get dressed up. I come. I sing. I open my Bible up. I look good. I don't cuss. You know, that, 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 that's my spiritual part of life. Now, when I go out in the oil field, man, I, I got to be an oil field worker there. No, you don't. That's wrong. That's sin. That's, that's, that's a distorted picture of your life. You're an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And what you do all week should be giving glory to God. And listen, slop, okay, slop does not bring glory to Jesus. If, if you're doing what you do and you do it really sloppily and you do it very lazily and you do it with a minimalist effort, you are not saying Jesus is awesome with your life. You're not saying Jesus is watching. You're not saying this is for him. You're not saying I, I am his servant. You're not saying that with your life. You're basically saying, this is not important what I'm doing, and I'm doing it for me. You see, people who give the minimum, people who have a job, and they're like, okay, this is the least amount that's required of me, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the least amount, you know? And, and I'm, I'm, I'm giving a 15-minute break time, so I'm going to take 20. And I'm supposed to be here, at, I'm supposed to be at work at 8, so I'm going to show up at 8.05. And I'm going to do just the very, very bare minimum not to get fired and to still draw a paycheck, okay? People who do that, they're living completely for self. Their heart is not to bless somebody. Their heart is not to give glory to Jesus. Their, their heart is not to live out this calling upon their life. Their heart is completely selfish in that. Folks, slop does not glorify God. And, and please remember, your job is your mission field or your ministry. Whatever you do, that's your mission field. Okay? 
Most of you are going to spend the majority of your week at work and much of your interaction with our community is going to be at work. And so how you do your job speaks volumes about what's inside of you. Okay? Man, I've, I've, I've heard tons of people. I've, I've shared Christ with people and they'll tell me, yeah, yeah, I know somebody from your church. Somebody that goes to your church. Somebody's been, or somebody has been to this other church, you know. And man, here's what they do at work, you know. And, and I mean, that's, that's their deterrent. That's their stumbling block is there's somebody at their workplace and they don't do a good job or they're foul or they're, they're mean-spirited or they don't represent Christ. And that, there's a stumbling block. I mean, Christ is drawing them. And they're, they're, you're in the way. And it's, it's not because of what you say about Jesus. It's not because you got the gospel wrong. It's not because your Bible is, is not correct. It's because your life does not reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to Philippians. Man, this is, this is a great... A great verse. Philippians chapter 2, verse um, 14. Do all things. What's all things? Whatever you do, right? Whatever service you're in, whatever industry you're in, whatever you're a stay-at-home mom, you're, you're whatever you do. You know, and, and I want to make this as broad as possible. There's a guy in our church named Mike Nay. And if you, if you know Mike, he, he, he drives around in a little wheelchair, drives all over town. Uh, we baptized Mike about 10 years ago. And uh, Mike can't work. Mike would desperately want to work, but he can't. He just there, there's things about our culture that they're going to pay him so much uh, to, uh, because he's disabled. And so if he works, he gets that taken away. There are just some complicated issues there that you all understand that. But you know what Mike does every day? Mike drives around. He's kind of got a circuit, you know. He comes here and he visits us. He encourages. He doesn't stay long. Just kind of drops by, see how we're doing. He's got some kids over in the neighborhoods that he checks on. He talks about checking on them, you know. He can tell me who's going astray and who's not, you know, and who needs ministered to. Uh, he, he drives around different parts of town he just kind of makes his round i mean and he does that you know he does it with all his heart man it, it's 100 degrees out he's out there you know it's 30 degrees out he's out there there's been many days where you know somebody didn't come to church here because it was too cold mike drives you know five six or what was it about 15 blocks in his wheelchair you know no no air conditioning no heating he gets here i mean the guy the guy does what he does with all his heart and so whatever you do okay so verse 14 do all things whatever whatever you're doing whatever your situation is Without grumbling or questioning. Why'd you hear that? So do your work without grumbling or questioning. Why? Here's the reason why. Verse 15. That you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. See, you live in a crooked and twisted generation. You live in a world that does not know Jesus Christ. You live in a world that does not see His glory. Okay? And so you, you are the one living out Christ's glory in, in that world. And listen to the last phrase. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. Okay? You're a light in the world. And listen, when, when, you, when you grumble about your job, when you complain about you, your job, you go to work and all, you, all your coworkers hear from you is how rotten this thing is and how, how, how upset you are to be here and how you want to be anywhere else and how this job is, is, is horrible. Man, when they hear that, you're not shining as a light. You're not, you're not living out your witness before Christ. If you do your job lazily, Listen to Proverbs 10, 26. Some of you can identify with this. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. You know what a sluggard is? A sluggard is a guy that he, he doesn't give effort to things. He doesn't give creativity to things. He doesn't give energy to things. He does the very minimal amount possible. And the Bible says that guy is an irritation to the people that are counting on him. Okay? I know your hearts. Some of you, first of all, some of you do an incredible job. 
at witnessing to people at your work, okay? Uh, I am so amazed at, at many of you. You're, you're the greatest evangelist of our church simply because you live your, you live your faith out. And, I, and I've watched some of you. you you're, you're in a company. You're in, you're in the hospital. You're in wherever. And, and everybody that comes to your department that moves to Woodward, they end up in our church at least visiting. You know why? Because you live out your faith at work. That's a powerful thing. Man, that, that, that's your mission field. And folks, if, if you want to be that for Jesus, we've got to do what we do. Not for the little boss. We've got to do what we do for the big boss. You know, I want to be like Joseph. Y'all, y'all ever read the story of Joseph? Joseph's got some hard things in his life. You know, his brothers betray him, sell him into slavery. He goes from slavery to prison. <laughs> okay? And then from prison to the prime minister of Egypt. But listen, everywhere he goes... He does such a great job that, that whoever he's working for is blessed. You know, he goes to Potiphar's house. Man, Potiphar is so impressed with the guy. He gets everything in line in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's house is, is just blessed by God. He gets from there to the prison. Okay, before, before you know it, he's in charge of all the prisoners. Okay, man, I want to be that guy. I don't, I don't want to be the guy that's griping and complaining and, and always, you know, I don't want to do this. I'd rather be at home watching Prices Right. Would we rather be at home watching Prices I mean, really. You know, sometimes just think about that. It, what, what would we do if we didn't have a job? And I know some of you are like, I know what I'd do. I'd be out fishing. You know, really? Would you fish every day, all day, you know, in Oklahoma? Wouldn't you get tired of fish, you know? I mean, do you really want to eat that every day? I, I don't want to eat that every day. And some of you are saying, I'd like to try it, you know? Work is a great opportunity to impact the world for Jesus Christ. Look what else he says. Verse 6. He says, do your job sincerely. Okay? He says, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. We need to, we need to do what we do, not insincerely. You know people, or you ever been one of those people? When the boss says, all right, here's what we're doing. You're like, yes, sir. When he leaves the room, you got some cutting comment about what a dork he is or how stupid he's running the business. You ever be one of those people that when you know he's showing up, man, you're working extra hard, you're really productive. But when you know he's in another state at a business meeting, you're not. You know what that is? You know what that's called? That's called eye service. That's what Paul calls it. I kind of like that word, don't you? Uh, It's really descriptive. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, okay? You know what eye service is? Eye service is when you do what you do because an eye is on you, okay? <laughs> Whenever you do what you do because somebody's watching you. But when someone's not watching you, then you act differently. What Paul's asking us to do here is not, is not try to impress the boss. Paul's asking us to do what we do for the glory of Jesus. And Jesus is always watching. Jesus always got his eye on us. One of the questions I ask my kids, we were doing the catechism, is... Uh, Oh, gosh, what does it say? It says, uh, can you see God? That's the question. And the answer is no, but he always sees me. I like that. He always sees me. He's always watching. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 is a powerful verse. It says, rendering service, okay? That's what we're doing in our jobs, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to men. That phrase, good will, is a really fascinating phrase. It means a couple different things. First of all, it implies joy. 
It implies that, that you have a joyful heart in what you do. And second of all, it implies a blessing that goes with it. So, so when you do something with goodwill, you're doing it joyfully to bless the people that you're doing it for. Okay, So that could be your boss. If you're in a service industry, it could be the people that, 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 that you're serving. Um, I was thinking about two different people that, that I see every week. There's, there's a place that we frequent, and, uh, and, and I see these two people every week. Uh, one of them I have never seen smile in probably the two years I think that they've been working there. Not once. In fact, in my phone, I try to keep track of people's names just so, you know, when I walk into a place, I know their names. And I always give a description, you know, short person, tall person, red hair, whatever. And beside her name... Uh, I have never smiles. I mean, that's how I remember, you know, this is her name and how I remember it, she never smile, you know, and I've even tried to draw, you know, Hey, what's wrong? You don't look like you're having a good day today, you know, and, and it's just always kind of something, but she's just, she's not happy. The other person always smiles. Okay. Always. Not only does, not only does this person smile, but I mean, she always has something, you know, funny to say and engaging and she's, you know, just, just, you know, engaging with my family. She knows all my kids' names, you know, she's always happy. I mean, it's clear when, 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 whenever, whenever that one person waits on me, I feel like I'm kind of in the way, you know, I mean, I mean, she does a great job. That's the thing. She's fast. She does a good job, but I kind of feel like I'm an inconvenience. You know, I'm like, I'm sorry. I came to your place today. You know, (laughs) I can see you're really unhappy about me being here. Sorry. Sorry. Thank you. Thank you. You know, when the other person waits on me, I I, I feel like, man, I'm glad we're here, you know, because she's happy. We're here and we're happy. We're here. And, and, you know, I mean, it's a blessing that she has goodwill. I mean, that's what that's called. Um, render service with a good will. Folks, when you're working for Jesus, there should be some joy. There should be some joy. You're like, you don't know what my job is, you know? Hey, you know, I, I've had some of those jobs. I grew up working in the feedlots of western Kansas. So dirty jobs, I understand that. I understand that. But let me tell you, when you have a changed heart, I really believe this is possible. I believe it's possible in the Lord. Whatever job you've got, however bad it is sometimes, I, I, I really am firmly convinced joy does not come from the outside. Joy does not come from having your circumstances just like you like it. Joy comes from the inside. Joy comes from what Jesus has done inside of here. We should have, we should have joy. Not, not only because of, of, uh, of what Christ has done, but also because your, your employment gives you an opportunity to bless. That's what that word goodwill. You're going to bless somebody. You're going to do something good for somebody. Whether it's provide oil so that people can drive to church in a car and not have to walk. Or whether it's provide mail so that they can, they can pay their electric bill. And, and, or whether it's provide whatever you do. A medical service so that people won't die, you know, or won't be sick or won't suffer. Uh, those are all things that you ought to do with, with goodwill in mind. Folks, God has created us to be producers. We're not created to be parasites. You know, aren't you glad for that? I mean, God didn't create us. I mean, he could have done that. You know, he could have made this big blob and, and we're all born and we kind of make our way to the blob and attach on and, you know, suck life for until we die. I mean, man, that's not much of a life. We're created in the image of God. And part of that means we're created to bless. We're created to manage things. We're created to take care of a family, to raise up children, to cultivate education in them. To, to be productive in society, to make things, to build things, to, to produce, to serve. That's what we're created to do. And we should do that in a way that says Jesus Christ is awesome. Now, here's the really exciting part, and we're, we're about done. Look at verse 8. Knowing, okay? 
Knowing. You see that first word in verse 8? Knowing. That, that's a great word. It says that we can be confident of something. We can be, we can be completely assured that something is going to happen. Why, why are we able to work with joy, with goodwill, to serve, to obey our, our earthly masters as to the Lord? Why are we able to do that? Because verse 8 says we know something. And what do we know? Verse 8 says we know that whatever good anyone does. Now, look how broad that is. Whatever good you do. Okay? So whatever good thing you produce, whatever good, you, you, you do something with a smile, you buy your stuff friendly, you, 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 whatever you do that, that's good and it's for the Lord and it's with all your heart. Look at what it says. Whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Man, the Bible promises there, there that whatever you do, if you do something for, with all your heart, when you do it for the Lord, you're going to receive a reward back from him. Now, now, here's the problem. The problem is that, that there's lots of people who will suffer. They'll put up with a difficult customer. They'll work late. They'll work hard. If they're convinced something good is going to come, okay? But the problem is there are times where something good's not going to come from your employer, okay? Your employer is probably not going to make you rich, probably not going to make you an owner in a company, probably not going to take care of your family when times are rough, probably not going to satisfy your soul with meaning and purpose. He probably won't do that, but Jesus will. You may have an employer that doesn't give you what you're due. He doesn't treat you fair. That does not mean you've lost your reward, okay? Because your reward does not come from him. That, that's, that's what Paul is driving home here. It doesn't come from him. It comes from Christ. God is able to give to you in ways that no company, no employer, nobody else can give you. No employer can pay you by filling you with a joyful heart. No, no employer can do that. No, no boss can give you peace in the midst of trial. No company can raise your self-control or, or your love for your family. No employer can give you a check for five kids who love Jesus. No corporation can raise your salary of contentment. Those things only come from Jesus. And here's, here's bank on it. It's a promise. You can know this. You can know that when you do what you do with all your heart, that God is going to work in your life in such a way as to bring reward. That's a promise from the Bible. Real quick, masters, we got some of you in here, don't we? Can we start calling you that? Wouldn't that be funny? Probably not, would it? Some of you own businesses. Some of you manage people. Maybe you're you're not the owner, but you're kind of the boss. You know, you're over a group of people. All right, look at verse 9 real quick. Masters, do the same to them. Isn't that cool? Do the same to them. What does that mean? Does that mean you're to obey them? No, things would be out of whack there, wouldn't it? Uh, that, That wouldn't work. But when he says, do the same to them, he's saying, render service with a good will as to the Lord, not to men. In other words, as you manage your people, as you, as you bless your employers, you got to remember, you're not the big boss, right? You're the little boss, and the big boss is over you, okay? And he's watching, and, and, and verse 9 says, he will not show partiality, okay? He, you got a master in heaven, and, and they've got a master in heaven. you got the same master, and that master's watching you just like he's watching them. And so you're not free to do what you want as the boss because there's somebody over you. So every task, every duty, every job, every unpleasant requirement, all of that, all of that is to be done to the Lord. Man, things really work well when we have this in mind. Man, I want you to go to work each day excited. Uh, I really do. I want, I want you to love what you do. Uh, I, think, I think God wants you to do that. Maybe some of you maybe may need to make a change. Maybe God's drawn you into a different occupation, a different area of employment. 
But here's what I know. I mean, God wants you to live this out. He does not want you to go to work every day hating it, being bitter, being angry, grumbling, complaining. He wants you to go to work and to be able to produce and to serve and to live for His glory. As to Him. As to Him. Whatever you do. Stay at home mom. Retired. Hey, you know what? When you're retired, please, please understand. Your job is not to read as many Louis L'Amour books as you can, okay? That will not go well for you. It really will not. Uh, I've, I've got people in my family that, that have done that, and, and it did not end well. I just, don't, I just don't believe we're created that way. We're created to serve. We're created to be a blessing. That's why we're here. That's a good thing. Let's pray together. Father, I just... Uh, I look out, Lord, and I see a, a mission force. God, that excites me. I see people in, in every industry and area of, of employment in our community just gathered right here in, in two services. And God, it excites me to think about how, how your spirit is inside of us and how as we go out tomorrow to the places where you send us, that light will shine forth. The light of the gospel, the light of of truth, the light of who you are and what you do in us and in a sinner. And God, I just pray that, that we would live out the mission of the gospel in our employment. Father, help us to do that for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.